you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7. As we talk about love's extravagance today. How many of you have ever done something extravagant? Way over the top for somebody. Maybe you gave a, a lot of money that you really couldn't afford to give. Or maybe you gave of your time in a way that nobody else would probably do. Have you ever done something extravagant or had anybody do anything extravagant for you? I remember when we were moving from Cadiz, Kentucky and Western Kentucky to here, the last Wednesday night before we left, the church had a potluck meal and a little celebration of my going. I call it a glad you're going party. I'm not sure. Great folks. They really were. and We loved each other. But there was one couple in particular that just fell in love with our kids. We had three children living with us at the time, our daughter Michaela, who was nine and a half, and we had two foster children, Timmy, who was about age seven, and Kelly, who was about five and a half, and uh, Leroy loved our kids. And Leroy told his wife, Carolyn, to go to the bank on the day of this potluck and get out some cash. He told her to get out $301 bills. And they came to the potluck with these stacks of money. $100 bills in each stack. Not hundreds, but 101s. Let me get that straight. $101 bills. Gave it to each of the kids. And they were so excited. They're like, we are rich now. I remember after we moved here. We were blessed to have several of our men, probably 8, 10, 12, who came to our house and spent thousands of hours collectively expanding and remodeling the home that we live in. How many of you are here, were here when Bob Schaffner was a member? A lot of you were, more in the second service probably than the first. And Bob Schaffner and the word extravagance, if you do him, probably didn't really go together. However, Bob Schaffner left, left basically his entire estate to our church. And because of what he did, we were able to pay off our loan on the new building over there a lot sooner than we would have. Here in Luke chapter 7, we see someone being extravagant. And it's not someone who had a lot of money. It wasn't someone who had a great reputation, but she was extravagant in her giving. Now, this is not the same story recorded in Matthew or Mark or John. Different people, different place, different time. Uh, the Simon in this story is also mentioned a different Simon in the other story. This Simon in today's story was a Pharisee. The Simon in the other story was a leper who had been cleansed by Jesus. So some people see the name Simon and they say a woman anointing somebody. And they say this is the same story. It's not. But both are very powerful. The name Simon was a common name in New Testament days. Kind of like Bob or Bill or Joe in our world today. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus had two disciples by the name of Simon. 
Simon the Zealot, who's not so familiar. You know who the other Simon is? Simon Peter, right? Simon who was named by Jesus as Peter. Well, our story begins in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees by the name of Simon asked Jesus to eat with him. If you know anything about the Pharisees, you might be wondering, why would a Pharisee invite Jesus to dinner? The Pharisees in general were a bunch of religious hypocrites. They could not stand Jesus. Well, not all Pharisees were bad. Remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night? There were some good Pharisees, but by and large, uh, not so much. Most of them were bad, and this one probably was as well. But some say this banquet could have been given by this Pharisee in honor of Jesus. That may explain why they were reclining in today's story. You see, normally when people would eat a meal, a common meal, common folks, they would sit or on the floor or they would kneel or they would squat. But if they were reclining on a couch, that meant that you're either very wealthy or this is a big deal. This is like a banquet. This is something special. So some people see that and say, well, he's doing something special for Jesus. Reclining on the couch could also explain how a woman could get to the feet of Jesus without crawling underneath the table. That would be awkward, would it not? Suppose you were sitting at a meal today and somebody wants to do something for somebody and they crawl underneath the table to get to their feet. That would be really weird, okay? So Jesus is reclining on this couch, probably leaning over an elbow. His feet are off to the side and this woman is able to reach his feet without crawling under anything. So this meal probably had the appearance of something upscale, perhaps in honor of Jesus the rabbi teacher. But it was probably Simon the Pharisee's goal to find a way to entrap Jesus, not to honor him. So here's Jesus at the house of a Pharisee reclining at the table sharing in a meal. However, it wasn't long until the meal was interrupted. Verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax, flask of ointment. Now, all of us are sinners. Let's get that straight right off the bat. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Some of you enjoyed saying that way too much. But truth be told, we're all sinners, are we not? The only perfect person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the New Testament word for all there is imarton. Daniel probably knows that. He's been studying Greek. He knows a lot more than I do. But imarton is the word for missing the mark. And all of us have missed the mark. All of us have blown it. All of us have failed. Romans 3.10 says there is none. Say the word none with me. None. There is none righteous. You cannot be right with God in your own power. No, not one. Nobody can be right with God in their own power, in their own strength, by their own ability. But thank God, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He had compassion on those who were in the outcasts of society. Think about it. Jesus reached out to the hated tax collectors. People despised 
tax collectors in Jesus' day. Why? Because not only did they collect taxes for a foreign Roman government, they also charged extra taxes and stuck the money in their own pockets. But Jesus reached out to the tax gatherers. In fact, one of his disciples was a tax collector. Remember who that was? Levi, also known as Matthew, the one who wrote the first gospel. There was another famous tax collector in the Bible. You might remember singing this song when you were a kid. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Sing with me. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know that song? And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today, right? Going to your house today. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was despised by the Jews. And yet Jesus reached out to him and told him, I'm going to your house today, Zacchaeus. Jesus also reached out to people who would be considered very immoral. Like the woman at the well. Do you remember Jesus came to the woman at the well and offered her living water. But she was not a very good person in the eyes of society. In fact, she had had five husbands and the person she was currently living with was not even her husband. Jesus reached out to the woman who was caught in adultery. The Pharisees wanted her stone hit with these big rocks until she died. And they wanted Jesus to condone it. But Jesus said, he who was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones. And Jesus turned to this woman and says, where are your condemners? And she said, they're all gone. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Go back up a few verses to Luke 7, verse 34. And you'll see that friend of sinners was a title given to Jesus by his detractors. But what a beautiful title it was. Praise God. Jesus is still the friend of sinners. Aren't you glad? It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how mightily you might think that you have failed. It doesn't matter what your issue, what your problem, what your struggle, what your need. Jesus Christ loves you. You And he came to this earth to die for you. He didn't simply come to die for people who kind of had their act together. He died for people who were far away from him. And compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we're all far away from God apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? But Jesus is a friend of sinners. The woman in today's story was an obvious or notorious sinner, probably a prostitute. I seriously doubt Simon the Pharisee wanted her coming to his house. Pharisees hated notorious sinners. They wanted nothing to do with them. However, according to the custom of that day, poor people were often invited to visit banquets. And kind of hang out, not really eat at the table. But if they had leftovers or scraps from the meal, they would offer that to the poor. And so the Pharisee, not because he cared about the poor, 
but probably because he wanted to put on a good show, look like he's a great man, he allows this to happen. Not only that, when a celebrity or a well-known teacher came to someone's house in a banquet setting like this, people would leave their doors open as the custom, and a stranger could just walk in. Now, we don't do that in our world today. Suppose you're having some people over for dinner and you invite the preacher to come. And all of a sudden you have three or four or five or six neighbors who just show up. And they're not going to eat with you. You don't have food for them. They're just going to show up and watch and listen. That would be awkward, right? Well, it was still awkward here, but that's kind of the custom in that day. Different culture, showing up at the house, and being present in the room was accepted in that society. But what this woman was about to do was risky, especially when you consider Simon was a Pharisee and the Pharisees hated sinners. Verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment, probably very expensive ointment, likely that she could not afford to give away. The NIV calls it perfume. Not only is she pouring ointment on Jesus' feet, she's crying over Jesus' feet, probably in remorse over her sin and kissing the feet of Jesus out of gratitude for forgiveness. Letting down her hair in public, which she did, was considered to be disgraceful. It could even have been grounds for divorce in that day, but she does not care. Question, when is the last time you were so grateful to God for what Jesus did that you really didn't care what other people thought. You're in the middle of a worship service and normally you stand there and sing like everybody else in the room. But on this particular day, you are so overcome with worship, you raise not one hand, but both hands. Not in order to put on a show, but you are overwhelmed with the grace of God, the goodness of God, and what Jesus Christ did for you. Or you knelt down on the floor, or you just stood there in silence because you recognized that you were in the presence of somebody who is much greater than you were, and you were so grateful for what Jesus Christ did for you. When is the last time you didn't care about what other people thought? You're just going to honor Jesus. Maybe you have some neighbors who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And you're compelled to go over to their house, to knock on their door and say, Can I talk to you for a minute? This is really weird. But you don't care. Because you're so grateful to God for what Jesus Christ did for you. That somehow, some way, you got to share that with other people. Or maybe you're going to invite somebody to come to church at work who's really like, ah, oh, they'll never come. But you're so overwhelmed with the gratitude that's in your heart for what Jesus did for you. You reach out to people, even though it's awkward. When's the last time you made a decision? It could have been an unpopular decision. You could lose your friends. You could lose your job, but you don't care because you're going to do what God has called you to do, not out of legalistic obligation, but simply out of gratitude for what Jesus Christ did for you. If he were willing to come to this earth and die on a cross for your sin, 
the least that you could do is honor him out of gratitude for what he's done. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, this is Simon speaking, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching me, for she is a sinner. Obviously, Jesus can't be a true prophet, he thinks. A real prophet would know what a horrible sinner this woman is. There's no way he would let her touch him. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus tells a story, starting in verse 40. Or verse 41. And Jesus answered them, I have something to say to you. And so he tells a story, verse 41. A certain moneylender has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Pretty obvious answer, right? In verse 43, Simon answers perhaps reluctantly. The one, I suppose... For whom he canceled the larger debt. I think Simon knows what Jesus is doing and where he's going. The word debt was commonly used for sins. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Simon knows where this is going. But Jesus is going to leave no doubt in his mind. And Jesus said to this woman, or to Simon, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the neighbor, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet and with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus isn't complaining, but he is comparing. Simon, think about it. When you invited me over to dinner, you did not even give me any water to wash my feet. And now, we wouldn't do that in our world today, right? Different culture, different time, different place. They walked on dusty roads and they wore sandals. And so their feet were dirty and smelly. And often people would provide water for the guests to wash their feet. They might also anoint somebody on the head with oil. And they might give them what we see in the Bible is a holy kiss, a kiss on the cheek. He did none of those things. But she, this woman went above and beyond. She anointed his feet. He cried over his feet, kissed his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. She went way above and beyond. It was extravagant love. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Question, how grateful are you for what Jesus Christ did for you? You see, you didn't just need a little extra help in order to be right with God. You needed God himself, Jesus Christ, the Son 
to come down to this earth and die on the cross for your sin. He suffered agony for you. He suffered horrific pain for you. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become sin for you. That you might become the righteousness of God. That's how much Jesus Christ loves you. Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrated his love for you. And that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth for you. He didn't wait for you to think about it. Attempting to get your act together. He saw you there in your sin. And he said, I will die for you. And it doesn't matter whether you're a murderer or a prostitute or the very best citizen in Hardin County. You needed Jesus Christ just as much as anyone else. Without Jesus Christ, you would split hell wide open. How grateful are you for what Jesus Christ did for you? And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Not because of the expensive gift that she gave or the extravagant love that she showed, but rather because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a Christian today, it's not because you're Mr. Amazing. It's not because you're Miss Wonderful. It is because of the grace, the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ that he gave for you. It's because Jesus Christ was willing to come to this earth and die for you. A horrific death that you might have life, eternal life with him forever and ever and ever and ever. And that you might have direction and power to live this life right here and right now. Jesus Christ did that for you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. says, that by grace we are saved through faith. And even that's not of itself. It's a gift. Say the word gift with me. It's a gift from God. Not of works as anybody should boast. The greatest gift that could ever be given was given to us by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. Verse 49. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? I got good news. We know who he is. He is the wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father. The prince of peace. He is the king of kings. And the lord of lords. He is the God of this universe. Who created the world. And set it in space. He is the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. He is altogether lovely. And we could go on and on and on. And he loves you. So much he came to this earth to die for you. That you might have life. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, you would all be headed to hell. But because of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. There is hope. There is eternal life because of what he did. Verse 50, and Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Some of you may need to nail that down today. You know Jesus Christ died on the cross. You believe he died for you. You believe that he rose from the dead. You believe he's coming back again. You believe the truth of scripture about the gospel. But maybe... 
you've never really nailed it down for yourself. Maybe you don't know for sure whether you have Christ as your Savior who died for your sin and your Lord, the one in charge of your life that you follow. I've got good news for you. You don't have to go to 57 classes first. You don't have to put a bunch of money in the offering plate first. All you have to do is come. Maybe some of you are members of this church or of another church, but you're not real sure if you know Christ as Savior and Lord. You can be sure before you leave this building today. Just be honest with God. Some of you think, well, you know, when I was seven, I came forward and then I got baptized and I joined the church, but I don't know if it's real or not. Hey, it doesn't matter whether it was seven or 70. Don't leave here without knowing that you know Christ. It's not so important that you know the day and the hour as it is that you know him. So be honest with God. Say, God, I'm not sure. I think I was saved when I was seven, but I don't know. So I'm not leaving here without knowing God. I am putting my faith, my trust in you. If I was never saved before, I want to be saved right now. And if you'll pray a prayer like that, I believe Jesus Christ will save you right on the spot. You don't even have to wait for the invitation. He loves you. He's reaching out to you. And you do not want to take a risk of leaving here without knowing that you know Christ as Savior and Lord. Some of you may need to let go of some of the sins in your past. Maybe you've had a checkered past. Maybe you've done some things that you're not proud of. And maybe you continue allowing those things to to come back to your heart and mind. And the enemy is using that to bring you down. I've got good news for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how mightily you think that you failed. It doesn't matter what your sin was. What matters is what the grace of Jesus Christ is. And the next time Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. He's going to be thrown into a lake of fire. And you're going to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever in heaven. In a place where there is no more sorrow. There is no more suffering. There is no more pain. All will be perfect there. It's far from perfect down here. Amen. And I don't think it's getting better. By the grace of God. It will be better there. And in your heart. And in your life. Not circumstances, but in your life, it can be better right here and right now. Why? Because the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? The Bible says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But too often, what we do is we live by sight. We live by circumstances rather than living by faith. I can celebrate when circumstances are good for me, right? But when circumstances are hard, when life is falling apart, that's different. But by the grace of God, you can be, the Bible says, more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Lord. And that was written by a man by the name of Paul who had a whole lot of suffering and struggle and pain in his life. But he knew his source of victory. His source of victory was not circumstances get better. His source of victory was Jesus Christ is in charge. Is Jesus Christ in charge of your life. He is the overcomer. He is the victor. He is 
our leader and our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, your past is wiped out by the blood of Christ. Psalm 103, 12 says that we give our sin to God. He removes it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. Jesus Christ is offering forgiveness to you. If you've never given your life to Christ, start there. If you have given your life to Christ and these old past sins keep coming back up, you say, get behind me, Satan. I'm following Jesus. I'm believing him. I'm living by faith in God's word and Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And if you'll live that way, you can be victorious. Even though circumstances may not always be good. See, the hero of this passage isn't a sinful woman. The ultimate example of extravagant giving is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about that. He came to this earth for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead. He's coming back for you. He is the ultimate extravagant giver. And he's calling us to respond to him. Not out of legalistic obligation. But out of gratitude for all that he has done, is doing, and will do for his glory. Would you pray with me?